Hey, I'm Daddy, and this is Daddy as Fuck, a throw-it-all-at-me discussion about poly, kink, DDLG, and BDSM, with an emphasis on power exchange through the eyes of a soft DDLG dynamic. You'll hear stories, opinions, and perspectives as we journey through an alternative way of life, what has worked, what hasn't, and thoughts about how to manage choices on a path less taken. So thanks for joining us today, and let's get going down the bunny hole. Hey, it's Daddy, and welcome back to Daddy as Fuck. Season 1, Episode 4, Kink vs. Vanilla Dating. Have you ever noticed the stark difference between dating in the kink versus vanilla lifestyles? Have you ever been afraid to disclose your kinky side? Are you trying to date mainstream, but fear listing your interest in kink or BDSN dynamics will limit your responses? Listen as I give an account of my experience and observations dating in both the kink and vanilla scene simultaneously before I realized that I was a daddy. If you have comments, suggestions, or feedback, you can email daddy, that's me, at daddy underscore af at comcast.net. And remember, there's no better way to make sure I stick around than by sending a donation, subscribing to this podcast, or even leaving a rating. So let's get on down the kinky vs. vanilla bunny hole. Before we start today's episode, I want to shout out some thanks to JollyBoo03. On August 19th, she put a five-star rating and a title of Grateful up on Apple Podcasts for me. Thank you, Jolly Boo. I really appreciate your feedback. And what you wrote was, Thanks for coming up with this. I've been interested in participating in a DDLG dynamic for years and have recently found, quote unquote, the right one. I feel like the luckiest girl in the world. I'm so happy to hear your feedback and knowledge, etc. Perhaps I'll email you soon with questions. Well, Jolly Boo, please do. I would love to feature some of your questions on the show and do my best at answering them, at least from my perspective. So thank you very much for the review. I'm starting off this episode with a hearty thank you to all the kinky ladies. And I'm going to get into a little bit more about that in just a bit. But for now, in late January of 2020, I was dating both vanilla and kinky partners simultaneously. Vanilla dates would come from apps like Tinder or Bumble and the occasional face-to-face meeting. And my kink dating came mostly from people I met face-to-face at munches and through introductions across the kink network or through messaging, followed by meeting at a munch, etc., etc. I was starting to learn very quickly that for me, solid connections formed a lot faster and with much more satisfying results between myself and the kinky partners that I was dating. So I'm going to tell a couple of stories. This is the story of me meeting Kay from Bumble. Um, Just going to use the name Kay. So when I first met Kay, obviously I swiped right. She swiped right. We matched. She said hello first, which I like. And then I followed up with some conversation and the thread kind of moved on from there. And I found out that she was 420 friendly, which is not a deal breaker for me by any means. But it is a nice connection point. And we were of similar ages. She liked to cook, I liked to cook, and we had similar taste in funny movies. So we chatted for a bit on the app, 
until I felt we were at a good point to move it forward to a face-to-face meeting, and she agreed. So uh, we met at a bar that was somewhere between her place and mine, and we had decent first date conversation. Um, The topics mostly were about work, and I get fascinated with people's professions. I could talk to anybody I meet. I could talk to you. Yes, you listening right now. You start talking to me about what you do for a job, and I will ask you a thousand questions, and I will be interested in the answers to every one. I don't know what it is about me. It's just one of these weird things, and it works out great because A, people love to talk about themselves, and B, everybody talks about work and the weather and shit anyway, and if they're doing it with somebody who likes listening to them, I have found that I get great response, and people will just go on and on and on, but it's not a very deep conversation. So this conversation was mostly about work and stuff, and just a little bit about like where she grew up and where I grew up, and she asked a fair amount of questions, and I was asking a fair amount of questions, trying to gauge my level of, uh, trying to gauge her level of interest every step of the way. And it seemed just like when I felt like things were falling off a little bit, she would come at me with a question and, and I, so I'd renew my interest. And it kind of went on and on like this without hitting any significant topics of conversation throughout the course of the date. And, um, you know, it was pleasant. It was a pleasant meeting. And, I wouldn't say it it bordered on well it wasn't unpleasant because it it was a pleasant meeting. She was she was very pretty. She was um like I said she was about my age and she was very much my body type. So I said okay, that was a decent date. I had mentioned during the date that we'd have to get together sometime to have a smoke. So we'll pull that 420 connection in. See what happens there because I you know, I know known a lot of smokers and you know, people are different when they smoke, obviously, because you're high, right? So I said, well, let's let's see how that goes. You know, maybe there'll be more personality there. So we set a date to get together, and actually she was going to come over to my place, and we were going to cook and watch a movie. And we did that, and she came over, and we had a great time. But when we got high, <laughs> we didn't really talk about anything much deeper than the movies that we like and more about work and more about like friends and relationships that we have but nothing about deep stuff about family I didn't know anything about like how many relationships she had I I don't know if she was married or if she wasn't and honestly I kind of felt like asking these questions was outside of the realm of what was possible I felt like she was really holding on to this aura of um let's keep this shit on the surface that's the vibe i was getting let's keep this shit on the surface now occasionally she would like touch me when we were talking and i would favor my body language definitely in her direction and her response would vary her body language would shift to me and then away from me occasionally she'd touch me and i would respond by touching her a couple of more times and but it never really sparked anything off so Needless to say, I didn't really make any moves through the whole date. And there was even a couple of points in the kitchen where 
you know, she was washing some dishes and I thanked her for washing the dishes. And I was standing there in front of her, front of her saying, hey, thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. And she's looking up at me and I'm looking down at her and she's looking up at me and I'm looking down at her and I'm like, in my head, I'm going, dude, kiss her. And then the other voice in my side, my head is going, no, dude, don't kiss her. Just like you're getting the vibe that you don't want to ask her like how many boyfriends she had or if she's ever been married. Same vibe saying don't kiss her. So I... Listen to my gut. We ended up on the couch. Same thing. Body language was like all over the place. Yes, no, yes, no. So I, I made absolutely no moves, even though I kind of read a vibe in my head that she was kind of saying, like, I wish this guy would make a move on me, but I kind of don't because I don't know if I want him to. And I'm just like, gonna, I'm going to listen to that voice, right? Because I am I do not push myself on anybody unless I know that it's a green light, which is why I say, thank you, kinky ladies, because when there's a green light, you hang that shit in the window. And I very much appreciate that. So finishing up my date with Kay, date number two, um, she calls her Uber and her, her Uber arrives and, um, you know, we get up, we go to the door, she puts on her coat and shoes and she, you know, she turns towards me and she said it was, thank you for cooking. It was very, you know, I had a really nice time. And uh, I said, me too. Thank you very much. And I kind of stood there for a second and I kind of looked out the door and I saw the Uber. I said, oh, yeah, the guy's definitely here. And she's like, OK, well, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. And she was starting to walk out the door. And I just like kind of reached out, grabbed her elbow and she turned toward me and, and I kissed her. And and we kept kissing and we kept kissing and we kept kissing and it was a nice kiss. And I'm like, OK, well, that was an interesting surprise. So then she walked out the door, she left, and, you know, I had some casual messages with her after that, and and even though the kiss was really nice, and it had me thinking, hmm, I wonder what's behind that chemistry there, because the conversation was just, like, dead. I mean, I don't even know how many boyfriends is, I don't even know if she's dating anybody else, I don't even know if she's been married, I mean, I don't, I don't really know any, anything about her family, but the kiss was nice. So I'd like to explore that chemistry, and she's very pretty, and she's my body type, and yes, I know, I have a little bit of a superficial streak, but that's okay, because I'm also deep emotionally. I was like, I could, I could move this forward. I bet if I had made another date with her, I bet some more stuff would happen, because I could tell there was chemistry in that kiss. And then I was just like, you know what? I am not going to do something just because I can. I'm going to do something because I want to. And there's that whole should I, could I? I know I could, but should I? And I'm just not into pursuing something that, and in my heart, I'm not really interested in. It's not really working and it's not firing on all cylinders for me. So I kind of decided to set that aside. And I kept in touch with her every week or so. But at the same time, I was going to munches and connecting with people and um, dating in the kink scene. So I met this girl, Giselle, on uh, FetLife. And um, at this point, I forget who reached out to who first. I think she liked one of my photos. And I looked at her profile and I, I kind of liked one of her photos and she commented on one of my photos, you know, uh, something about my abs or whatever. 
And uh, so I messaged her back and I said, hey, thank you very much. And I saw your profile and you seem really cool. And I liked what you wrote there. And that thing you said about connection that, and finding the right dominant. And you seem like you kind of know your way around the scene. And what did you mean by that? Like I was genuinely interested, you know, just to even have a good conversation in the kink scene and further my sense of, you know, DS. So we had some great messages, great conversations. We moved on to kick in a, within a you know a, a day or two. Not that that's any standard measure of progress or whatever, but we moved on to kick because it's just easier to communicate, right? And we we met on common ground on a lot of topics. You know, we talked about family, we talked about history. She was super sweet, super attentive, and I could tell she just wanted to please. And the connection was really really good. And um, we talked about like kinks and history and relationships and you know she was kind of she was more monogamous and and I and I was more non or poly leaning I mean I had monogamy experience but I was like at this point in life what I'm really looking for is just to be open and honest with all of my partners and just kind of follow the trail bunny trail and see where things lead with each relationship you know and when something happens I'll make a choice um and if something doesn't happen I'll just keep making choices whatever but my point is, is that uh, we had great conversation and, and she, she was interested enough to say that, well, I know you're open and I know I lean monogamous, but I also have an open mind and it would be cool to meet. So I'm like, OK, let's meet. So we met in person. And before we did, I said to her, look, we've had some great conversation. And before we go to in person, I just want to acknowledge that sometimes the chemistry does not translate in person. And I just want to leave room for that just in case. And I say that to every single person that I meet online that I'm about to meet in person. I even said that to Kay. Um, so she's like, no, I totally get it. And I've had that happen to me too. So I, I totally understand, but I want to meet you in person. I said, yeah, me too. So we met and we uh, had great conversation <laughs> And, you know, she's very pretty and, and we got along very well. And there was definitely some kind of chemistry floating around there. There was just some ways that she was about um, around DS that the way that she liked liked to trigger dominance from her partner was actually a way that triggered me to like tr triggered my like trauma, you know, and it caused me to like it caused my insecurities to rise to the surface. And I noticed the way she was commuting in some of our communicating in some of our conversations because our conversations got really deep. You know, this is why I'm saying thank you, kink, kinky ladies. And I'll get into more of that in a bit, because we really got into it, you know, about sex lives and marriages and relationships and kink and DS and first times experiencing it and what it was like and what we were looking for and what we loved. We really got into it. So by the end of the night, I was thinking to myself, geez, you know, we we're really connecting. But, you know, there's this thing that she does every once in a while. And I notice that there's a propensity for her to do this thing. And, and you know, and, it, and it's it's just like part of her personality, but it touches off and triggers my trauma response and like a PTSD and, and my insecurities kind of rise to the surface. And it doesn't make me want to rise up and dominate. It makes me want to shrink back and, and be like insecure. And I'm like, this is not a good dynamic. You know, the type she, the type of dominance that she craves is not my style of dominance. That's, that's what I discovered after some thought later. But at this particular moment, I had no idea what was going on. So, like I said, we got along great, had a lot in common. She was really pretty. And, we, you know, we go out to the parking lot and, you know, I, we say goodbye at our cars and I kiss her goodbye. 
And we had a nice kiss. It was a nice kiss. It was really, you know, a kiss that you would be having to discover the chemistry that you have with another person, right? And I could tell that she was really into it, and I was feeling like these sparks going off, and and I was just was happy, and I got in my car, and I went home, and I'm laying in bed, and I had this weird feeling. There was this disconnect between like all the conversation we had and those feelings about the type of dominance that how my dominance wasn't being triggered around her at certain points in time. It was actually being called, it was calling forth my insecurities and and triggering some some PTSD from past trauma. And then I was thinking of the kiss and thinking how that was nice and, and I, you know, really nice and I liked it. And then I just woke up the next morning and I knew, you know. So I said, you know, I texted her, I messaged her and I said, look, you know, we talked a lot about honesty last night and you had said to me, I, I wish... I wish people would, I wish guys would just be honest with me. I wish guys would just be honest. And I I wrote her and I says, look, you know, I had a great time last night. I had a wonderful time. And uh, it was so nice to meet you and talk with you. We had so much in common. And I just want to say that honesty is absolutely imperative and it's amazing. And we all want it, except when we actually have to be honest. (laughs) And to be honest... You know, I, I, I didn't wake up this morning with the warm, kind of fuzzy, sparkly feelings that I was hoping for when I went to bed last night. And she said to me, oh, my God, I so appreciate you for that. And we talked, we talked, we talked, like messaged the rest of the morning and we became friends and play partners. You know, we're platonic. Um, she's like a rope bottom for me and I'm a rope top for her. And, you know, it's it's a platonic rope related relationship and we have a great time and we still message to this day. So out of that came an opportunity to be completely honest and to get a to be to be friends and actually continue the relationship, you know, and then with Kay, it's like, I wonder if she's still wondering what happened to me after that kiss, because I never called her again. I never messaged her again, like maybe two or three times after that kiss. But I kind of dropped the ball and she kind of let the ball drop and I have no idea what the hell happened. But in my really in my like connection with Giselle, I know exactly what happened because we still talk. (laughs) So those two contrasting experiences led me to the realization that kink dating was for me the pinnacle of getting to know someone in as open and honest environment and way as possible. you know, Giselle wasn't the first person that happened with, that happened with. If you listen to, to the other my earlier episodes, um, then you'll know how I met Baby Girl and you'll know like how absolutely mind blowing that experience was. But in addition to Baby Girl and Giselle, there were a few other kinky ladies that I had met and a few other vanilla dates that I had been on that um, allowed me to really come to understand that dating kinky women for me was much more gratifying than dating in the vanilla scene. Clearly, I had yet to fully realize exactly why. And after meeting Baby Girl, I figured it all out. But that said, on to my tribute to kinky ladies. About January 26th, this was like a week before I met Baby Girl. Thank you, kinky ladies. Thank you for ruining me for vanilla women. You didn't do it on purpose. Still, I suppose you're snickering with pride knowing that you've done it. 
but you did. I'm ruined for vanilla women and what it takes to connect the way I need to connect with them for it to be anything meaningful. On average, after a single conversation while out one-on-one with a kinky gal, I already know what generally drives your desires, how to best communicate with you on a meaningful level, what your boundaries are, your past sexual experiences, your current STI status and relevant history, how you like to connect with your partner sexually and intimately, your favorite sexual positions, your hard and soft limits, what type of play you enjoy, usually in great detail, your curiosities and why they intrigue you, what makes you kinky and why you love it, who you know in the community, general information about your family and social circle, how I can best relate to you to trigger your desires, what things I enjoy doing that I will enjoy doing with you, your past relationship challenges and emotional triggers, your availability mentally, emotionally, physically, and time-wise, exactly what it is you're looking for out of our time together, what type of quote-unquote relationship you're looking for, ideally, that you appreciate, value, and actually want honesty, and most importantly, what type of chemistry we have. There are many kinds worth exploring, but only certain ones lead to a full-spectrum connection. Finding this out sooner than later is absolutely invaluable to both parties. It can take a year or more of fumbling around in a vanilla relationship to go as deep as one can inside a month with a fully self-expressed kinky partner. After my average dates with vanilla women, not only can I approach maybe two or three of the above, but 90% of what I want to know and what I want to do simply isn't available without a whole lot of work. Work that takes time and effort for potentially lots of frustration, hurt, and little reward when I reach that dead end. So thank you, kinky women. Thank you for ruining me for most vanilla women everywhere. Though I know you really only just saved me for yourselves, haha, I appreciate it all the more. So that was a post I put on FET on January 26th when it dawned on me that I'm getting so much more connection, relevant connection with the kinky women that I'm dating and the conversations that we are generating. And bear in mind, I don't just like meet a girl and like have at it. We usually meet and message or have in the past, I've usually met them and message them, and we talk back and forth, we move to another platform, we talk a whole lot more, and this might be over days or weeks before I have a general sense of this is clicking enough to move forward to in-person. So I don't just sit someone down and grill them the first time I meet them. So let's get on to some of the feedback I got on this posting. So here are some of the responses I got to that posting I made on FET. Someone writes, I will admit one of the things I'm struggling with is in a first conversation people wanting to discuss kinks or limits. I do note your writing said a single conversation. It did not indicate it was the first conversation. As I ponder some of those above points, I don't understand how people fit all that into a single conversation. My experience has been that what I want from time with someone is something that develops. It's not like a checklist for buying a car. My guess is this is likely a gender-based division. My reply. I agree. The key is, quote, well out one-on-one. 
unquote. Getting to that point usually requires meeting a few times at community events, talking with mutual friends, or connecting on FET or through messages and having some casual chat to determine if there's enough interest to meet one-on-one. But in my humble opinion, if I'm considering, and the other person is considering, moving to the point of becoming physically involved, these are the things I need to know going into it. Don't get me wrong, these conversations either happen organically or they don't happen at all. I don't force them. In that case, connection is not possible. I prefer fostering genuine, dynamic, and abhor quote-unquote checklist conversations. I've simply been finding that having these meaningful conversations has been so much easier with you ladies in the scene. My subject is a little tongue-in-cheek because I'm sure my personal approach and personality has a lot to do with how my conversations are evolving. I simply don't want to discount how amazingly open and willingly kinky gals are to sharing when they feel comfortable doing so. And I don't mean to be gender biased there. It's not just gals. It's, it's everyone. So again, I'm just going to call, pre- call some presence of mind to my caveat that apply the gender norms and specifics that are relevant to you and your relationship. So on to the next comment. Someone else writes, wow, all that would make my head spin. I could never deal with such questioning slash sharing. There's a reason I prefer kink and fetish over BDSM, but I think these are really good things to know if one is into BDSM and dynamics. Probably good to know these things. My response was, if I sensed your head spinning, then the conversation would go much differently, fostering a mutually enjoyable conversation. I definitely did not set out trying to have conversations like this. Reflecting back, it's inevitably how they unfold. Naturally, that underscored a notable difference between how non-kinky and kinky dating has unfolded for me, which is my point, really. You are also correct. When it comes to certain aspects of interaction, there are things that are definitely good to know. Along comes another comment. I do agree with the kinky stuff. It's been really hard to date anyone since getting divorced and then end up getting bored rather quickly. Luckily, I finally found a woman that enjoys being a sub and doesn't want a relationship. Okay, yay, good for you. So it was about that point that I was realizing like, okay, there's some mixed feelings out there in the scene. And when I looked at the profiles of the people who had commented, they were actually um, leaned a a little bit more vanilla. You know, it was people who were just exploring the scene and they had reservations and they had some insecurities and I'm not judging them. They actually had communicated that they had reservations and insecurities. So taking those comments in context and in stride, I was still left with the general impression that dating in the kink scene affords for some much deeper and more revealing conversations. I mean, if you're willing to admit that you're into caning or rope or orgasm control or CNC, I I think having some of these baseline conversations that are just like pulling teeth dating in the vanilla scene are a lot easier in the kink scene. So... Let's see how Baby Girl replied to that post, because in fact, after I met Baby Girl the next day, she was looking at my profile and starting the process of devouring every little morsel that I had to offer her. Um, She found this post and read it, and she actually commented. (laughs) 
Okay, so here's what Baby Girl said in response to my post about kinky dating kinky women versus dating vanilla women. She says, This absolutely resonates, and from the female point of view, the lack of communication about desires and boundaries in a vanilla relationship can be scary. Signals get misread, and suddenly you're in the middle of something you're uncomfortable with, and it's harder to extract yourself once you're in it. It's so gratifying to have someone care enough about our pleasure and our fears to learn our boundaries. This was the day after we met. So, I replied back to her, having just met her the night before. Thank you for perspective from the other side of the equation. Now, bear in mind, the night before when I met her, I had all of this amazing conversation relevant to my post, right? So here's someone that I had actually had that experience with, actually the pinnacle of these experiences with in getting to know someone in the kink scene versus vanilla dating. She is like the gold standard of what that means to me. And we had just had that conversation the night before. So this is my reply. Thank you for a perspective from the other side of the equation. I initially wrote this in appreciation of how our community fosters openness and honesty. On a deep level, we can share, and it's not taboo. It's actually necessary for these kink dynamics. But yes, you are so right. Upon introspection, a huge part of me cares deeply for fostering both the feeling of and the literal safety and security of potential partners, and quite honestly, all women in the community. I also need to know that connections with partners are mutually intentional, meaningful, and in a way that minimizes chances either of us ends up feeling hurt, used, or worse. Thanks for a twist on the insight back into my own writing. And I just want to acknowledge there that um, we can minimize the chance of either of us ending up feeling hurt used or worse, but those things, if those things are going to happen, sometimes they're just going to happen regardless, right? But that's why I said minimize, because I acknowledge that the chance of them happening is a risk we take in every relationship. So that was Baby Girl's response. And after having such a strong and positive meeting with her, and then having her reply in the affirmative, it just reinforced for me that at least for me, and I'm the reason I'm putting this podcast out there is because I'm a human being and there's like billions of other of us here on this planet. So if I feel this way, other people have to be feeling this way. So I'm just going to say it. So maybe if you hear it and go, oh my God, yeah, duh, it will help you pursue a path that gives you joy in life the way I found that this gives me joy. And now I know and I made the commitment, and as I've I, you know, said in other podcasts, I've, uh, other episodes, I've put a tattoo on my body to represent that I've found out who I am, and I never want to forget it. So I put it on my skin, so I see it in the mirror every day, and I remember exactly who I am. And part and parcel to that is this post that I am best off, I am my best self in relationships when the dynamic is present and I'm with somebody in the kinky lifestyle who can manage these kinds of dynamics. And it's kind of amazing because baby girl and I are really new to the DDLG and, you know, I have, I have experience in power exchange and she does too, but we're kind of feeling our way down our own path. And, you know, she has told me that one of the things she liked the most about my profile when we first met was that before meeting me, 
she noticed that I proclaim myself as a communication slut. And, um, you know, communication is incredibly huge with her. And I think that that's one of the takeoff points of, of our relationship, of how communication just sets the tone for everything that, that is our future. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about that. Communication sets the tone. Well, let's give a little bit of context, and this is going to come right out of my landmark education um, reference pool, I suppose. Communication arises through language. Okay, that, that might seem a little bit obvious, right? Because it takes a lang- common language in order to have communication. But there's something a little bit deeper about that. And it's that the language we use is as important as the conversations we are having with that language. So when we're communicating, the words we use have incredible import. Understanding that the words we're using mean the same to both people, the person who is speaking them and the person who is hearing them, is critical to direct and effective communication. And the only way to really assure that is by not only communicating by using the language that you're using, but also reaffirming that you both view things the same way. So it's like I told you in the last episode and the one before that about how baby girl and I deconstruct. It's almost like deconstructing every word that we use. Well, we don't deconstruct every word that we use, but deconstructing where we feel it's appropriate that we that we intuitively recognize that the words we're using could be taken a different way, that when you clarify, hey, I said such and such, and this is what I mean by that. And when you're communicating in person, the word language can be expressed not only with the words that you're using, but the body language that you're presenting when you use those words and the tone and inflection slash emotion behind, read between the lines, emotion behind the words as you say them, you know? So I can say, hey, honey, God, you look great. Or I can say, you look great. Both of those mean incredibly different things. That's all part of language, right? Communication arises through language. Now, relationships, right? The connections we have with individuals in our life exist through communication. How did you first meet somebody? How did you know you had a connection? How do you carry on that relationship? Through some form of communication. So relationships exist through communication and communication arises in language, which is words, body language, tone, inflection, and a lot of assumptions that could use a lot of clarification. So relationships exist through this communication. The conversations we have define what's possible in our relationships. So it's the conversations that we choose to have every moment in our relationships. That's what defines what's possible. So if something happens in your relationship and you feel weird about it and you don't communicate it, you're going to carry that weirdness forward into your relationship. And that's going to help that's going to determine what's possible. What's possible is that you could have a Friday night, but it might be a little weird. Is that what you want for your Friday night? Probably not. Neither of you probably wants that. But the conversations we have determine whether or not that's the Friday night you have. 
are the BDSM experience that you have or the top bottom experience you have, et cetera, et cetera, because relationships exist through communication. And it's through communication that create, we create agreement between those involved, right? It's the words we use, the phrases we string together, and the intention we put behind them that creates agreement between each party in the relationship. Like, these are the things that we're going to do, right? Right. Yeah, I'm going to meet you here Friday night at five o'clock. Or, hey, I'm going to share with you every time I feel vulnerable. You know, these are agreements that we create. An agreement gives rise to actions, and actions take place through choices. So we make, so in these conversations, we create agreements in our relationships. And it's the agreements that give rise to action or inaction. It's like, hey, I'm, you know, I love communicating with you when I feel insecure. Okay, I feel insecure about something. I have to make a choice. Am I going to communicate this or am I not going to communicate this? In prior episodes, I've told you how Baby Girl, baby girl and I will talk, would talk about how like, oh my God, I was afraid to mention that. And then we mention it. You know, we do it scared and we mention it and all of a sudden some great realization comes from it. And then we confess I was afraid to mention it and then we fall back on don't ever hold back. Throw it all at me because agreement gives rise to actions and actions spring forth from choices. We have to take those actions. We have to make the choice to take the actions that honor the agreements that we make in our relationships. And the choices that we make have to be aligned with the same possibility. And that will move the relationship forward in alignment. So if both people agree, hey, we're going to share when we're insecure. All right. So we're aligned in that possibility. Share when we are insecure. Now comes the choice. I'm feeling insecure. I choose whether I share that or not. Oh, this isn't really. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. I can deal with this on my own. I don't want to bother her. Ah, she's busy working tonight. I don't want to. Nah, she said throw it all at me, but I'm not going to throw this at her. I can handle this on my own. Well, guess what? I can't. And now I'm not available to connect with her. And now she's probably wondering what's going on over there. Is this something I did? Fuck. That's the last thought I want to put in her head. Communication, relationships exist through communication. The conversations we have define what's possible. We create agreement, and agreement gives rise to actions that we have choices to make such that we're aligned with the same possibility as the person that we're in the relationship with. Because life resides in relationships. Our experience of life resides in relationships. Think about it. Your mother, your father, your brother, your boss, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your friends, your co-workers, the strangers in the fucking grocery store. You have relationships with every single one of them. And it might not be a relationship with that person, but it's a relationship to, to how you think and feel about that person. You know, as you go through your day, your mind is throwing at you a thousand thoughts a minute and your voices are going inside of your head. You're having relationships with the world around you, whether you know it or not, every second. More often than not, our experiences of our relationships, the experiences that we're having in our relationships, the thoughts and the feelings that our relationships give rise to determines how life occurs to us in the context of those relationships. We may hate going to work because it's really difficult to get along with a certain coworker or our boss. And the way our boss interacts with us just makes 
our job and life at work occur to us as really stressful and full of anxiety and just an impossible environment to succeed in. Likewise, we can we could go home and be completely nurtured and taken care of and um, trusted by our partner in an exchange, have com- communication that is full of honesty and love and support. And our life will occur to us at home through that relationship as one that is very warm and secure and loving and inviting and nurturing. You know that, and so when you look at your life at work, it might suck. You look at your life at home, and it might be wonderful in those two examples. So, how life occurs to us is directly tied to the what we are experiencing in our relationships, the emotions, thoughts, and feelings that our relationships give rise to inside of us. It's all directly tied back to our relationships, not just at work or at home but to the world and the communication that's giving rise to these situations we are experiencing that generate the thoughts and feelings and emotions that we're having are all taking place through language. So life resides in relationships. Therefore, the conversations we have early in our relationships will give rise to a particular experience of life, right? For me, being kinky, Let me just go back and and go over that sentence again, or that thought. The conversations we have early on in our relationships will give rise to a particular experience of life as that relationships move, as that relationship moves forward. Those conversations will set us on a path such that certain choices and actions will happen within that relationship based on those conversations that will give rise to a particular experience of that relationship. For me, being kinky and desiring the freedom to explore that side of myself was contrasted against the limitations I bumped up against in the vanilla dating world. I was unable to have the conversations that I wanted to have that gave me access to experiencing life as a fully self-expressed me. I felt fear of rejection and constraint of communication and the potential for judgment and perhaps even generating feelings of discomfort in my dating partner by having the conversations that I needed to have such that that relationship could potentially give rise to the particular experience of life that I wanted to have. Now, at work, we may not be able to create the conversation or the relationships may be a power structure that's stunted and dead-ended, meaning that your boss is the boss and we can't have the conversations that would give rise to our particular experience of life that we would want at work. And maybe we live with a very, or are partnered with someone who's very difficult or has a particular worldview that doesn't necessarily mesh with ours. Therefore, the conversations that we are able to have with them are limited and do not always give rise to the particular experience that we would like to have of life through that relationship. And that kind of comes right back to what I'm saying about dating kinky in the kinky community versus dating in the vanilla community. If I had a fear of rejection or constraint to communication, I felt like I was going to scare someone off just by putting 420 friendly or you know, kinky friendly in, in my dating profile. I mean, I'm, I know, and I'm pretty sure I can gather agreement from the listening audience that 
a lot of people are going to look at that and immediately go, no, because they're going to form some opinion in their head about what those things mean. They're going to have a picture in their head and they're just going to go, no, even though they're probably are 420 friendly or probably do have a propensity to have a kinky side. Maybe they've always thought about it and wanted to do it, but the thought of someone declaring it out loud is just too damn scary. But I'm not like that. I'm not going to force anything on anybody. As a matter of fact, you know, it's quite the opposite. If you're not comfortable with it, I'm not doing it. And at the same time, I was also feeling unable to put my honest self out there and be accepted. So there's a quick story from... um, the more than two book. And I've actually heard this happening in person in DS groups. I've actually met people many, many times where this has happened. But the story is essentially about a couple who's been together for a long, long time. And sometimes in some cases they were married, some cases they weren't. But, you know, the the marriage or the relationship hits a rut and maybe there's therapy involved. Maybe there's just a lot of friction between them until eventually through therapy or through conversation, it comes up that one of them is interested in the BDSM lifestyle and the other person goes, are you are you kidding me right now? I used to be in a BDSM relationship long before I met you. And I, I always wanted to say something, but I was afraid that you would just like look at me and be revolted at the thought that I was into something like that. And that would just be the, you know, headstone on our relationship. And lo and behold, a new lease on their relationship and a whole new life unfolded for those couples. And I, I that was a story in more than two. And also, I've met many couples in person in DS groups that told that story about that happening in their relationship. So there's still that fear, right? But there's a difference between revealing that side of yourself in a, in, in a relationship that has long established intimacy and then trying to reveal that to someone in the midst of, of newness in someone you just met and saying, hey, I'm kinky, I'm 420, friend. You just put that right out there and they're just like, put a big old stamp on your forehead and they've already judged you. But, you know, admitting that to a longtime partner, you're going to have a lot more compassion and context with which to accept and process that information. Bottom line is the quality of our future life is determined by the choices we make today especially in our relationships. So next I'm going to turn the chair around and start asking some questions and look into your side of the equation. Time for some questions. Okay, so talking about communication in the context of dating in the kinky versus the vanilla scene and everything I've gone on and on and on about today regarding communication and relationships. I'm going to ask you some questions. Have you dated both known kinky and quote-unquote vanilla partners in the past? So have you dated in each of the communities? And what kind of differences did you notice? I put out a lot of food for thought today, and inside that little head of yours, maybe there's some gears turning. And I'm wondering what you picked up. What did you notice dating between the kinky world or the vanilla world? What challenges? What differences in context as far as how those dates progressed, how those relationships progressed? What did you notice as differences in your conversations between those two scenarios? And if you haven't, 
then imagine what it would be like based on some of the things I've said today and some of the things I've run into. If you ran into those things, what kind of differences would you imagine would happen in your conversations dating someone in the vanilla world versus the kinky world? So I'm going to assume that this topic is relevant to you. Um, and I'm going to ask, what did you notice about the progression of the different types of relationships you've had? So maybe you've had a relationship with someone who's been kinky and someone who's been, been vanilla or someone who's vanilla that you found out was kinky. What, what did you notice about the progression of your relationships with someone who had a little bit of kink to them or was full-blown kinky versus someone who was vanilla or vanilla and realized that they had some kinks? How did you feel the relationship change or how did you feel the relationships were different once kink came on board? Have you ever exposed your kinky side to a new partner only to be faced with fear, apprehension, or even judgment? Uh, hope not, but rejection or disgust? Are you reserved about what you share of yourself? So how does it, if, and if you are, and if you are, because I think that's very common. I am 47 years old and I'm just now putting myself out there. Just no apologies. With some exceptions, you know, work. Certain people I really don't want to get into it with for no reason other than it's just not going to be a constructive conversation. But I'll ask again. Are you reserved about what you share of yourself? And if you are, how does it make you feel to hide parts of yourself? What do you get in return for hiding parts of yourself? Is the trade-off a conscious choice? In my case, at times it is. In the past, it hasn't been. It's just been a like avoidance. Avoidance of shame, avoidance of rejection, avoidance of judgment. That's what I got in return. Blech. Is it a compromise that you are at peace with, if you are reserved about sharing yourself, are, are you at peace with that compromised? Or is it a compromise that leaves a part of you aching to be fulfilled and accepted by your peers, your family, your friends, I don't know, the world around you? Who do you feel most safe being your true self around? That's a good one. Because when I started to come into my own as a daddy, I had been kinky for years and there have been people in my life that knew a little bit about, I had a kinky girlfriend, I was dating a kinky girlfriend, you know, it was in a poly relationship, so it was already kind of weird and they were already scratching their head anyway, so they didn't know too much about it. I just let them know, hey, you know, yeah, we get a little kinky sometimes and left it up to their imaginations. But as I've come into it and I found that I'm a daddy and I'm, I'm really fucking proud of that proud enough to put a tattoo on my body that declares it to the world that now the whole lake has seen when I take my shirt off and I run community events too. So there I am with the baby girl tattoo on the side of my body out in the middle of the community for everyone to see and not one person's asked about it, mind you. But who do you feel most safe being your true self around? Because it's interesting this year as, as I've really started to blossom into my daddiness I am just so fucking proud of it, and I'm so proud of my relationship, and so proud of my baby girl, and, and all of the courage that we're having to create this in the face of a world that really doesn't want it, really doesn't accept it, really doesn't like it. There really is, it really is hard to find a true place for us in the world. 
I mean, we carve out a hell of a corner for ourselves, but there are aspects of our relationship that we would love to express more across family and friends and just the world in general. But fortunately, we have a broad range across the world that we are able to get out there and be us in, in, in the world. And that that is like more than enough for right now. But there are areas where we have to constrain ourselves. And in some of those areas, we do have cravings and desires. But this year, I started to feel more safe just being myself around people. So people I would never have been myself around before. And I think that has to come from the strength that I'm deriving from my relationship and the strength that I'm deriving from my identity. It's almost kind of like a fuck you. I know who I am. And if you can't admit it to yourself, then don't judge me for being who I am. So it made me think about who I feel the most safe being my true self around. And a year ago, I would have answered that question a lot differently because now I am so proud to tell my family and my friends about my relationship and the true nature of it. So it changes and it shifts the more you feel secure, or I should say the more I felt secure, I'm not going to speak for you, the more I felt secure, the more safe I felt sharing my true self because I felt like I could, I feel like I can fall back into the safety and the honesty of the strength of my connection, that this is who I really am. And if the world doesn't like it, then I'm sorry. <laughs> Not sorry. So moving on with some questions, but I kind of get stuck on that one because when it comes to sharing yourself, I, one of my biggest, biggest reasons that I love the kink scene is just I love watching people be their true selves. It's the first thing I loved about it back in 2002, and it's the thing I still love the most about it in 2020. Watching people being able to be free and accepted is what I love about the kink scene. So I went off on a little bit of a tangent, but I hope you found it relevant. More questions. Would you consider having a relationship with a non-kinky partner? How big of a role does kink play in your life? Are there other aspects of relationships that could replace kink for you? Like deep romance or a strong commitment or family? Or is it part of your core identity and in some level and in some way you will always need to have it? I realize now that it's the only kind of relationship that I will ever want for something that is full-time and committed. I just can't imagine having a vanilla partner anymore. And it's not just because I like to beat people and I like pain and I like to use rope. It has nothing to do with that. It's all about the DS dynamic and how deep of a connection is forged through that. I mean, if you've listened to episode one, the pilot episode, you've heard about the different types of love that I've experienced and I've gone pretty fucking deep. But I will never have a, the, a vanilla love ever again. It just can't replace the type of connection that DS affords. So are there aspects of your relationship that could replace or stand in for kink for you? Because for, for quite a long time, there was for me. How would you feel in a relationship where your partner was turned off by anything kinky and knew that you would not be able to express that side of yourself and you knew that you would not be able to express that side of yourself? Because I was in that situation too. And you know what? 
I leaned into other aspects of that relationship that fulfilled me at that time. And when I look back on them now, I say, well, I do remember how they fed me and substituted, but I would never want that again. So those are just some questions. And I know there's a wide spectrum of people that may be listening and a wide spectrum of experience out there, but this is just food for thought. So what's next on Daddy As Fuck? So what's coming up next in Season 1, Episode 5 of Daddy As Fuck? Demystifying Jealousy. After a 10-year crusade slamming my head against the wall of jealousy and having it hit back harder, I finally deconstructed what jealousy was to me. My gut tells me that what I found jealousy to be for me is something that most people would, in one way or another, identify with. So listen in and hear the stories, challenges, successes, setbacks, and ultimate victory as I charted my course through the thorny patches of taming even befriending the green monster known as jealousy. Learn how jealousy can be one of the best tools in your relationship toolbox. Let Daddy show you a trick or two about how to use it in making your relationships and dynamics strong and rewarding. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, just email Daddy. That's me at daddy underscore af at comcast.net. And remember, there's no better way to make sure I stick around than leaving a rating, subscribing, or even a donation. Don't forget, if you leave a rating or send me a question, you might even be featured on the show. So thanks for joining me down the bunny hole. Catch you next time.